Hi, my name's Elijah, and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. Today, my special guest is Jinda. Jinda is one of the hardest working singer-songwriters in the UK. He's also a friend, and he's also played in my band, The Gravity Drive. We speak about his early influences, his life and journey as a songwriter. He was signed to Sony BMG and Universal Records and was one third of the group The Mercury Men. We speak about how his song Keep Me In Your Heart ended up being one of the movie Fisherman's Friends and much, much more. So please subscribe and enjoy this podcast. Whilst I have your attention, please check out my book, The Songwriter's Handbook, now available on Amazon, inside which there are 52 ideas and subjects for you to explore and hopefully find a seed or spark for your own songwriting, lyric writing or creative writing. So thanks for listening. Please check out the book and enjoy this podcast. My name is Elijah and welcome to my podcast, Songwriting for Songwriters. This week, my special guest and very dear friend is Jinder. Jinder, how are you doing? Hey, Elijah. Yeah, I'm very well. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, really good. So thanks for being on the podcast. Just to let you know, um, when I've been putting it out there to people, like who would, who would you like me to speak to? Uh, your name's come up a number of times, so your audience want to hear from you. Um, Fantastic. So, <laughs> That's nice to hear. Here we go. So here we go. So first of all, what what or who inspired you to dedicate your life to songwriting? I think... Um, Initially, my the the person who kind of fired off my curiosity with with songwriting was my grandmother. She was a um, uh, choral arranger, a pianist, and um, uh, very much into all sorts of of different varieties of music. Kind of a musicologist, really. And she was sort of the rock star of the family. Every um, every few sort of Sundays along, you know, we'd have to like sit in front of songs of praise and wait for for Granny to come on conducting some choir or other that she'd been doing doing arrangements for. So she, yeah, she kind of. She was a person who, when I was about four years old, she sat me on her piano stool next to her. In fact, the piano that's right in front of me in this this room now, which she willed to me uh, when she passed away. And yeah. she she sat, sat me on her piano stool and was like, this is a chord and was showing me like triads and kind of worked, show me how things work in terms of chords and harmonies and keys and all that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, that, that was the thing that fired my curiosity, I think. Beautiful. Do you know what? That's the um, nearly exactly the same answer um, for me. My, you know, my dad was a songwriter, but my my great grandmother was this um, lovely old lady with a fur coat who'd like <laughs> smoke <laughs> and play piano at the, uh, uh, you know, p- play piano when we were around there. Give us a bag of two pence coins when we went to see her, and she was a huge influence on me to, to begin with. It's just that elegant grandmother playing piano thing was it was a big big stuff mm. for me too so it's nice, it's nice you've got the piano though that's amazing that you've got that heirloom yeah i mean it's it's been on i think it's been on every record i've ever made oh, uh, wow. in some some capacity it just uh, you know it, it it's just there and you know what i mean i inherited it in 2011 and it's never gone out of tune it's still yeah. in in tune enough i I've, I've never had it tuned in fact it was it was i had it brought here by a piano mover and it's moved house with me a couple of times but it's it's just bang on it's like it never wow. goes out of tune and it's, that's, it's something just, else. that's amazing yeah it's it's there's a little bit of her in there in the notes and the overtones you know i can kind of feel her spirit in there which is yeah it's amazing always songs come forth when I sit sit at that piano definitely I think that's true you know about instruments and about I think there is you know you, you're someone who's I mean you're a great guitar player and and you I always feel there's some kind of spirit 
of something or someone in a secondhand guitar anyway in a, in a kind of older it's, it's, there, there's got to be hasn't there, an impression of other people's mm. emotions and talent definitely think so i, I think that the, the the guitars are kind of the the the, the sum of all of those parts that have been put into them all, all of the, the chords and and songs and everything that have been played on them over the years that it lingers in there it shapes the 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 tone and the yeah. the sound it's yeah there's a every, every instrument has a soul i think i agree yeah i agree with you so you've had like an amazing i mean we've been friends for years and we're like we're our bands when we were in our late teenage years played together and we've been around and we were being and we've been in a band together of good friends and we've been you know around the same circles of gigs and venues for for i don't know 20 years or so but one of the things i've always mm. admired from my point of view about you is how prolific you are as a um record maker and a songwriter because you know it's it feels to me like you're from the kind of new young canon of writers who's just like i've got this set of songs i'm not i'm going to make this record the record comes out and you do it again and you do it again. And I love I love that you do that. And I saw it went on your website earlier and said it's 14 albums. Is that right? 14 albums. I, yeah, I think so. I, I stopped counting a few. I, I know I've, I've now made twice as many albums as I've sold. So I, I think the... <laughs> so is, is that your thing though? Is, am I right in guessing that's the way that you, you kind of look at being a songwriter, that you're prolific and you like to get the work out there? Is that important to you to kind of be, you know, constantly um, creating work? hundred percent. Yeah. It's all about continuation and it's all about, about sort of building a body of work for me. I think when Lou Reed was, uh, was um, my age, uh, he was interviewed this would have been 86. I think it was Robert Christgau who interviewed him. And he said, well, you know, you keep making records, even though your last few albums haven't really sold a huge amount and you kind of, do you still feel you're relevant? What is your career about at this stage? And he said, it's just about continuation. He said, it's my, about my body of work and it's about what I leave behind. It's about my life. And I, I've always felt the same with with records. You know, I love the process of writing songs and doing pre-production, working on arrangements and everything and the studio and then, then releasing them the, 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 and touring, that kind of thing. It's just a, a cycle, which, I mean, I suppose I started that kind of working like that probably 20 years ago. And I just, I've never really stopped, you know, it's and it is, yeah, it's about continuation, I think, just keeping working and keeping going. Yeah, you know that's, that's very. I think that's it's very healthy that, and and also I mean it's who you are, isn't it? That's who you are as 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 I know you to be. Well, I think as you know, I think would you refer to yourself as that's who you are? You are a songwriter. That's who. That's what you're here for. Definitely, yeah. I'm primarily primarily a songwriter. Everything else is is just butter on the bread, really. You know, it's it's like yeah, I sing and play guitar and play piano and whatnot. But the 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 root thing that I'm here to do is write songs and make records, and and I've always always kind of felt like that. The whole reason I picked up a guitar in the first place when I was 12 years old was firstly because the piano was a pain in the ass to fit in the back of a car. Um, but also because it was, um, you know, it, it was something I could take with me wherever I went. It was portable. And I, whenever I got an idea, you know, I figured if I, if I learned three chords and buy a capo, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of held true. I now know four, but like, you know, it's kind of the thing, you know, you got a, got a capo and you got your basic chord knowledge and you got your guitar and you, you just, you're good to go. Yeah. Do you do you have a favorite record of yours that you've made out of those 14? Um I'm really attached to the last 3. Um I think the last one I think Codetta the latest one is probably the most complete record I've made and it's it kind of feels quite nice to be in a position where I can say that whereas I you know I I always think you you've got to be 
creeping a little further forward artistically and creatively with every record. And and I think the last three, I've really kind of hit a bit of a hot streak, you know, kind of working with uh, Peter James Wilson, who's produced them and, you know, a, a few other players. Um, I must apologize for the background noise, by the way, I've got two kittens who are Where? just like literally tearing the house apart. So if there's any noise, I do apologize. Oh, cool. <laughs> um but yeah no i i think it's it's kind of nice to to feel that there's there's still this kind of upward trajectory in terms of my work and so i, I would say if i had to pick one it would probably probably be um codetta i think the latest one i think that's a, a very sort of concise statement of where i was at at the time when i made it brilliant always nice when your last record's one that you can stand by like that that's a really nice thing to hear because it's it's important that to be um still excited by your own record making and songs um mm. your lyrics are very beautiful and very um you know you're you're a poet and it's sometimes with when i listen to your songs it's like and i've heard other people say this actually um it takes them a minute to find their way in not melodically and not as a song structure that's there immediately as you're a great songwriter like that but in terms of they um getting into the lyrics they talk about and i found myself very much enjoying the surprise element of like sitting with your lyrics and going i wonder what he's talking about and then you're going oh wow okay and sometimes it's elusive and sometimes it's not i'm really interested to know because i think you do that I, well I, maybe i'm wrong but i think you do that on purpose to kind of um bring people in introduce them to language balanced language this is one of your skill sets i think it's and it makes you a unique songwriter how much of you is using language to highlight what you're feeling and hide what you're feeling does that make sense um well yeah you've nailed it you know you know me too well <laughs> that's exactly exactly what i'm doing i kind of um uh, lyrically i kind of use use songs as like a um like a, a rebus like a you know the the ancient puzzle form where, where you've you've got to work with with colors and shapes and kind of find a find a thing that, that makes a much bigger whole with these these little kind of um inflections and highlights and whatever and I think that's it. I mean, a lot, a lot of it is I love words. I've always loved language. That's I get that from my mum. My mum is is an extremely uh, wordy woman, <laughs> and I, I grew up with with this kind of passion for for words and language and kind of bending and tweaking, pulling at the edges of the envelope of the English mm. language. And yeah. and that's that's something which I love about songwriting. I, I love being being able to say say something simple, but in a way that perhaps hasn't been said before or hasn't been said in in a song form before you know i i've read a, a, a lot of stuff over the years and and the, the a lot of the, the poetry that really resonates with me is it's sort of a mixture of stuff but but i mean primarily my late friend jackie levin asked sort of suggested i i check out the silver age of russian poetry you know mykovsky and block and people like that that was a that was a big influence in fact my album the silver age is named after the silver age of russian poetry <laughs> very unpoetically just literally named record but um uh but also people like ee e. cummings um uh, and you know, like you, you there, there's there's lines in E.E. E. Cummings poems. The one that, that always sticks in my mind is it, you know, if I should lose you, I should be terribly lost, and I should turn my head and hear one bird sing terribly afar in the lost lands. I think that's just such a powerful image. You you can you can taste it, you can chew on it, and you can almost step into it. You can wade in, and um, you know, yeah, people like E.E. E. E. Cummings. Um, 
Philip Larkin, I've referenced Philip Larkin by name in a few of my songs, you know, with, with especially if I, I feel, uh, I, I kind of like to, to, to burst my own bubble a little bit sometimes in as much as, you know, if, if I if I say something in a song that ref, kind of references or half references or says something that's reminiscent of a uh, a poem or or a, something else that's gone gone before, I'm not afraid to make reference to that and and almost name check the author or whatever in yeah. in the song. I think that's a, a little bit of sort of self effacing mm. stuff that I like to do. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, that like the um, uh, what's the the Philip Larkin uh, line about um, you know the fires burning, humped inns, kippering sea pictures, whilst uh, um, uh, uh, waves fold behind buildings and night comes on, or something like that. It's it's that sort of yeah. that imagery that that sort of I mean what you know he's sit, sitting in a pub next to a fire looking at a, a, a picture whilst it's getting dark, but it's that's so much more beautiful a way to express it, and that's what I've always strive for to kind of do that you know to, to present you know here's the world we've all known forever but but in like a new light or from a new angle or something like that it's yeah it's, it's a big big ambition but you know if you can if you can do like one percent of it you know it's it's got to be, gotta well, be it's, worth doing. it's really nice to hear you talk about that actually because it's it's um you know this is what the thrill of doing these podcasts is getting behind the process and behind the thoughts of of people like yourself and uh, you know just hearing you talk about those uh, poets and where you're coming from is it gives an extra texture to the, the to, to listen to your work you know so is um are you one of the things i mean it must be the case because i mean I, I know you well enough to know you you're a busy man and you have seven beautiful children and a lovely yes. wife <laughs> and you work a lot and gig a lot so when when and where do you write your songs all the time there's always uh I'm always kind of wary of the fact that um, I know Thea Gilmore alluded to this in, in the interview that you did with her, with about her being a fear-driven artist. And I'm not really a fear-driven artist, but I'm also aware of the fact that if you stop using the muscle, it can, it can desert you. So I'm, I'm always, I've always got my antennae up, you know, in terms of imagery and things, things that capture my imagination and things that catch my eye, you know, something, you know, can I put this in a song? Can I put that in a song? And you, you, you sort of, I'm always, I mean, the, the thing is, I, I know that we've spoken about this, this before when we've talked about, about writing sort of, um, you know, off, off record, but you know, a lot, a lot of the time I'm driving home from a gig at one o'clock yeah. in the morning and, and yeah. that the light bulb goes on and you're like, I've yeah. got to pull over and I've got to capture this. And, yeah. you know, you're singing into voice notes and you're, you're jotting things down in your phone and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I'd, I'd love to say that, that I, I dedicate four hours a day writing with a, a quill and my own blood on a piece of papyrus, like Nick Cave did in the eighties, but I don't do that. <laughs> you know, I just grab, you've got to, I mean, Catherine Williams, there's a great, uh, oh, you interviewed Catherine Williams, didn't you? Yeah. I, just, dropping names here clang Catherine Williams's um uh song I can't remember the name of it um but it's a, it's about being a busy person and a parent and still finding time to write and, and the the line is I've got to make these moments count before these moments count themselves and I, and I think that's that's it you've got to grab every little opportunity and keep your brain ticking and your eyes open and that's my approach anyway you know love I, that I, love that do you do you um do words come first? Does melody come first? Does music come first? What's your what's the gender sort of habitat in song terms? Like what's the what's the kind of uh, order of things? Mm, I, I would say. I mean, it, it always used to be the case that that I'd take a different approach with every record. Some of them I would 
um, for example, um, an album I made called Crumbs of Comfort in 2012. With that, all of all of those songs were written um, at, at the you know words, lyrics, melody at the same time. I'd sit down with a guitar and a blank sheet of paper, and I would kind of hash them out and and sort of force them into life. Um, other records like the album after that, Traditional Dark, I, I wrote the music first and then that's I put words to everything. Oh, you like that one best? That's, that's interesting. My that's my faith. Yeah, that's my faith. Yeah. It's that that album was was difficult to make. It was it was all recorded uh, on a four-track cassette recorder. Um, and I just I just uh, had recently had a deal with Universal, which had come to an end with my previous record, and I wanted to make the least major label sounding record ever. So I, I got this junky old like cassette four track and and made it in my bedroom um, with Ryan actually Ryan uh, yeah. of Gravity Drive fame um, uh, and it was it was a really cool record to make but it's such a labor of love trying to make make an old cassette four track sound like a record and then just when I'd got it all done mixed everything I sent it off to be mastered and the the mastering the first iteration the mastering is horrible. And it had, there was some kind of problem with the mastering. I can't remember what it was, but it was just dreadful. I couldn't afford to get it redone. So the first iteration of it came out with this really janky mastering job. Right. Um, but but then when I was in the studio making uh, the Silver Age in 2019, I, I sort of I found all the files and the mixes and everything, and I, I remastered it and then reissued it with an extra track, like a director's cut version. I think I called it, put it on Spotify and everything. That's the version to seek out. The original CD sounds horrible, but. Um, I think there's some good songs on that, but that was all, the majority of them were, were written music first. And then I, I kind of, I sat with the music and the structures and kind of chewed over where I wanted to go lyrically with them. Um, but recently, I think the last three have all all been written lyrics first. You know, I've been re really zoning in on on that, you know, kind of fine tuning the lyrics and, and sort of getting getting to where I want to go imagery wise. And then, and then kind of going, well, how inspiring is this are these lyrics to you know in terms of music and melody and I, I always write lyrics with like a meter and kind of a melodic leaning in mind um but yeah no the last three have been lyrics first then then music which has been quite a fruitful way to work i mean i've, I've sort of ended up with a lot more songs than than are on the records so i could sort of pick and choose between them but um yeah no that's that's at the moment that's my favored mo i would say great you alluded there just to uh, major labels, and you were with a trio uh, called the Mercury Men for a number of years, and signed yep. with and by yourself to Sony, BMG, and Universal. What was your experience of being in that environment as a songwriter? Because we hear from different. I've always been independent, or was managed, but have, but um, mm. have basically been independent through my own career and through the Gravity Drive. But you, I know that you've been in the major label. Um, game as well as being an independent and i'm just really fascinated to know what your take home was from that what your experience was of that as a songwriter well as as somebody an artist you know personally i, I like to do what i want and be able to follow my nose um creatively and kind of conceptualize records and go where i want to go with that there's no support with that on a major label at all basically when I was with the Mercury Men, we signed to Sony BMG um, on the strength of one song. Yeah. Um, and they then basically said, go away and make an album of another nine of these. Um, and we literally had to sit there 
sweating in these writing sessions. And I got to write with some really cool people. I, I wrote with uh, Ricky Ross from Deacon Blue and um, collaborated with all, all sorts of people. Henry Priestman, um, who's a, a, a great artist. Um, and um, we, we wrote all sorts, all sorts of stuff. And there's some songs on that record that I'm quite proud of, but the experience was quite stifling artistically. It was very much to order and it was very much preordained the label wanted things a certain way and we tried going well here's something that's a bit more sounds a bit more like big star and they'd go nope that's not what we want here's something that sounds a bit like fairport convention nope we want something that sounds like mumford and sons you know and everything was mumford and sons at the time and we weren't them and it that was that was kind of tricky but after that my experience with universal um as a initially a writer and then a solo artist was um was a bit more copacetic really i mean they they signed me um, my my eldest uh, child was a baby at the time, and my manager, I said to my manager, I you know I need some income. I, I need need to do something other than going out gigging five to six nights a week and being on tour all the time. So I've got this baby that I need to raise, and and he very kindly, uh, the great uh, Ian W Brown, um, uh, he sorted out a, uh, a publishing deal for me with Universal as a staff writer, basically writing to order, you know, I'd get the wanted sheets every week and I'd sit there, baby on one knee, guitar on the other. And I, I you know, I, I pitched loads and loads of songs to loads and loads of people. Um, I think I got a cut with Alid Jones and another one with uh, um, Nick Knowles of DIY SOS, <laughs> all the big names. Um, and um, uh, eventually, you know, after about 18 months, my, my, term was up with the label and and they said um you know we haven't had a hit but we think the songs are great would you like to make a record for us so I was like, great. okay yeah fair enough don't forget get asked to make a record for a major um so i i made made the album crumbs of comfort that we were talking about um just now and i i spent i mean they it was it was quite nice in a way because they sort of gave me a blank check and said you know not for my own consumption but to pay for studio time and session players and I got to work with you know people who played on Blue Nile records and Van Morrison records and um uh Alex Reeves who's the drummer with a elbow he played on it and and there's there's loads of great players on the record um and I turned it in and the label sort of went oh okay and they put it out and just sort of let it sort of trickle out as a soft release thing and then um about two months after it came out i had a, arrived home and found a pallet of seven thousand cds on my doorstep <laughs> and i rang ian my manager and i said ian i've got seven thousand cds on my doorstep what's going on and he said what do you think's going on so <laughs> that was the end of that basically right. and that's what kind of led led to the whole traditional dark thing and you know forming my own label and so on but it was, yeah, the Sony experience was stifling and very, very high pressure because you feel like it's a one-shot deal when you get yeah. into that position. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, as they say about, uh, you know, sport, sports people, you know, you sort of choke a little bit as an artist. You you tighten up and you're not as free with yourself and overthink everything. And, it, and it's, it's difficult. It's tricky. It's tricky. Uh, yeah, I admire anybody who can convert that a major label deal into like a, a career right at the top tier because I couldn't do it. It wasn't for me. Did that like, because the thing is about sometimes when, I mean, I had a, a, not, a, not a major label thing, but, but sometimes when the industry comes knocking, you can't help but get excited or, you know, there's that idea of the making mm. thing or the kind of the next big thing or whatever, you know, all these things happen to, to, um, uh, to anyone who's involved with that kind of thing. From a mental health perspective, did any of that, did you ever buy into that or did it ever kind of 
haunt that kind of thing or were you like balanced enough as a writer to know i'm a i'm sort of a songwriter and this is a this is a part of my adventure how did you deal with that kind of up and downness of that situation um it was difficult i think in terms of the um the deal with sony ended very abruptly because of the credit crunch we uh we played the royal albert hall and then two days later uh we were playing uh, another show and our manager came backstage just as we were about to go on and said label are letting you go because the album hadn't come out at that point the mercury man album um and he said the label are letting you go because they're brought in financial troubleshooters they're losing a million pounds a day and they're showing all the subsidiary labels uh that aren't making money and of course we were signed to um uh, relaunched um arista uh and none of the acts on the the label had released anything yet we'd been we'd right. spent about a year kind of building building things up and touring and doing all, all of that kind of thing. So it was very sudden. And that that was a real adjustment. I went from living in a beautiful uh, penthouse apartment on the clifftop in Bournemouth uh, to literally within two weeks living in my mum and dad's spare bedroom, <laughs> which was, I mean, I know that's kind of like, you know, luxury problems, but it was, it, yeah, it was a really abrupt, you know, you sort of start, like you say, buying into the yeah. the, the theory of, of, of like, here we go and uh, and um, in reality it can suddenly turn into here we don't yeah. um which and- i raise it is because the thing is it's like like you said it's real, it's a first world problem but it but actually as a as an artist as an, and as uh songwriters these things are part of our journey and they do have profound impact and effect on us as people mm. and as songwriters so i just you know because I, I remember kind of around about that time you moved to Bridport and um, we start to get to know each other a bit more. And there, were, there was definitely kind of a, a sort of sense of you coming from somewhere and in transition to somewhere else. And you seem very adjusted and happy where you are now as a songwriter and artist, but that link from comes of comfort to traditional dark, and you can hear it in those songs. You know, I think artistically it's been like probably quite a good roller coaster to, to and as a songwriter mm to but it's just it's you know the reason i raised it is just because i think it's your journey is an interesting journey for a songwriter because you've carried like you said the continuation there's 14 albums you released another one so i would imagine you would say to other songwriters and certainly what i feel is that it's so important to keep writing songs and your journey is going to be your journey and you don't have really have that much control sometimes it like you said the credit mm-hmm. budget changes so you know you've got to carry on right You've got to have your safe harbor, and I think for me, writing a, writing is my safe harbor, and it always has been. As long as I'm still making things, as long as I'm still creating and doing, you know, it can be it can be just just me on my own. It can be collaborative, whatever. As long as I feel that, that I'm I've got some forward traction creatively, then I'm fairly well okay. The the one the one time when I really really had to exercise some self control and really be aware of myself and what I needed at the time was in 2016 um, I had an offer from uh, Polydor I hadn't worked with a major or anything like that for um, uh, you know for for, well probably about about five years um, and based on one song which was um, just in a bunch of demos that I sent uh, my my then publisher he he then sent them on to Polydor who were looking for writers and they said oh you know we like this song and we want to make a make a record but I spoke to them had meetings and they said basically we we want you to do this song and then we want to pick everything else on the record and 
2016 was a real bust of a year for me as as you know it was it was a kind of like a, a bit bit of a nightmarish situation i spent some of it living in the back of a volvo 940 so it was uh yeah a bit of a roller coaster and i think i knew at that point i was like no in terms of my mental health and my general you know sanity I, I needed to say no to that and that was one of the hardest things the hardest that's calls brave. i've ever made yeah that's brave and um ian my my manager and i had a you know he he was pretty disgusted that I'd, I'd chosen to to turn it down. He basically said, you know, this is the end of the road for you. You'll never work in the music industry again because you you can't just you can't be a prima donna with this stuff. And and I but it wasn't that. It was just I just knew it wasn't right, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't cope with it. You know, so I, I I just made the call, waved the white flag, and and I you know it was a real relief in all honesty to to yeah. find to have the courage to do that and just go no I've been there I, I can't do, can't do that again you know and um for you, man. For you. that's great where do you think songs come from and where's your muse like you've spoken about um you know your love of words but we both know that songs come from somewhere and lots of people think they're crafted by like you said sitting at the desk and sort of uh you know blood sweat and tears and then as you know as well they come from nowhere so i'd really be interested to know where where, where do you think they come from do they exist where do they exist What's your muse? Well, I I really like the idea that um like Booker White, the blues blues artist said, even talk about sky songs. That the idea that songs were just floating around and and sometimes you're just the the antenna, you're just the radar, and they just you you just happen to be walking through the right airspace to to bump into into yeah. a song. I think you can put you can put yourself in a position to find more songs, but it's yeah. not. I've never really subscribed to the idea that it that it's about just graft you know because i mean sure you can you can put your put your backside in the chair and and write and work and focus but are you gonna you're gonna produce stuff and it's you know there, there is a certain element of for me as a writer if i take that approach which i have in the past you know there's a it feels like a monkeys and typewriters thing you know it's like if i if i write enough songs one of them will be decent. And sometimes, you know, that, that has sort of borne out, but I, I do think that there's a bit more to it than, than that. I think there's, there's definitely um, uh, some elements to it, like, like a, maybe like a, a celestial element or like some sort of, none of us, you know, without wanting to, to extemporize too much on, on, on this, you know, none of us really know what's next. That's the thing. And I sometimes wonder whether, you know, that's where songs get sent back from, or, or nice. whether it's you know, that's nice. It, it, there's a million ways to, ways to look at it, you know. But we're we're all all kind of us songwriters are just kind of human radar dishes <laughs> in a way. You know, we just whether it's picking up the songs themselves or picking up imagery that fires off that spark of inspiration, that that sort of. Um, moment of revelation or wonder i think a big part of it is also keeping hold of that childlike sense of wonder about the world yeah. you know no, nobody ever wrote a, a um a great song about being jaded well other than aerosmith actually they had a song about being jaded which was quite good but it was called jaded you know, I was just busting my point entirely there but um you know i don't think songs come from a world weariness you know i, I think songs even even writers that have that kind of laconic jaded persona like leonard cohen who's one of my favorite writers you can you can bet that you know he was getting excited when he was writing so long marianne or the stranger song or um 
you know, bird on a wire, you can't write, sit down and write a song like that without, without feeling a sense of wonder about the world, you know, sisters of mercy, what an incredible song that is. And it's all about just, just being in a, you know, in a hotel room with two random women and looking out at the, at, you know, the frozen wastes of winter Canada. It's like, you know, you, that, that's where, that's where a lot of, a lot of stuff comes from. I think just being aware of the world around us and, and, you know, taking it in, stopping, finding time. And I say, this is somebody with seven kids and a lot on my plate, but finding time to just stop and go, huh, look at that. You know, I think in, in life, whether it's, it's, it's something you're seeing nature is something I find really inspiring, you know, the, 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 the world around us and everything and people as well, you know, pe people's feelings and outlooks and everything and, and how I love listening to people. You know, that's the thing I'll often sit and just listen. I listen to the kids. I listen to my wife. I listen to the, the world going by. I like sitting in a, in a cafe and just earwigging ear conversations because everyone's coming from a different place. And, you know, I think songs are hidden everywhere. They're like little e Easter eggs on a, on a hunt around the garden, you know? Love that. That's great. My auntie Michelle used to put on the best Easter egg hunts and uh, she was like um, my, you know, my blood uncle's wife, Michelle, I was in love mm. with her growing up and you just put on the <laughs> easter egg hunts i love that analogy of the easter egg hunts that's amazing that's what it feels like when you get i, I recently happened to me two days ago picked up my black sheraton as you know um mm. and just started playing and it straight away one came out of the sky and it was like oh you're a keeper and mm. you know you get those moments where they're not keepers or you play around but one just fell out of the sky and it was like that feeling of finding that easter egg because you stay alert don't you and then you get them and sometimes they become songs sometimes they don't my my own for me my own thing that i do know is that the quicker they come those are the ones that 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 people relate to the most and those are the, my my best songs the ones that kind of arrived out of nowhere you know because mm. like, for me it's music first really it's the initial kind of hook or melody first there might be some lyric concept floating around but the ones that come quickest within like the first minute if i've hit upon that hit upon that thing and it showed itself in the first 30 seconds to a minute those are the ones that end up on the records from my songs you know it's just sort of i need that immediate sort of instinctive hit of universal songwriting heroin <laughs> i've got some oh hold on i'm back sorry there was there was some kind of technical issue there i had a load of warnings come up on the oh, screen wow. Okay, so we're going to jump back. We had a little uh, transition there. We lost a little bit of signal for a second. But we're back in the game. So I'm going to. I'm here again with Jinder. So we're going to jump back in with a question, which I'm going to find in a second, which is, if you weren't a songwriter, what would you be doing? Or what would you do? If I wasn't a songwriter, what would I be doing? I'd probably be something, something, um, uh, something like a guitar tech or something like okay. that. I worked as a tour manager and a guitar tech for a little while, um, some years ago, um, which was really enjoyable. I mean, it was, it, I, I did have this nagging feeling that like I should be out there doing my thing rather than tuning somebody else's guitar and booking their hotels. But it was, yeah, I'd be working in music some, somehow or another, you know, maybe as a session player or something like that. But yeah, I, I, but whether I would have got into music if it wasn't for the the, the sort of desire to write songs, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. sure. It's hard to say. So what advice would you give songwriters? I mean, the, the best advice I ever heard was um, uh, Joe Strummer from The Clash in an interview when he was asked what advice he would give to to people who wanted to to work as a, as a writer or a musician. He said, don't give up 
even when you really want to. And I think that's the best, the best advice I can possibly imagine because all of us, you know, speaking personally, and I think for every, everyone who's ever written a song and kind of gone head to head with the music business, you know, you, there are times when you just look at, look at it and you go, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself through this? Why am I subjecting myself to it? I can't afford to eat, you know, but you, you kind of come full circle and, and, you know, you, you, you find those reasons within yourself, but I mean, that's, that's the thing I would say. And uh, the, the other thing is, you know, you've got to commit yourself to it fully. It's got, it's got to be who, who you are. You know, if it's, if it's in you, it will come out, but you've got to give it permission to, you've got to, approach your life every day as a songwriter's day and a songwriter's life and it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to be the case that you're like okay children i'm not doing the school run today because i'm a songwriter but you, <laughs> you find you, you sort of find you know different ways up the wall um to get to the other side you know as your circumstances change but it's always got to be i always approach the day i wake up and sort of you know get a, get the first coffee of the day on and and then think well what 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 is there? What can I write about? You know, that's that's always in the back yeah. of my mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely something true about dedicating to it, which is um and there's many people who do it for fun and as a hobby, and that's great and that's brilliant. And probably there are a lot uh in many ways, probably more 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 um got a bigger bank balance and uh have less stress. But there is something in terms of dedicating to it. There is a kind of uh you are turning a certain sort of tap on, I think, by dedicating to your art. Mm, definitely and and it, it becomes something that that's that's irresistible after a while it becomes it's almost kind of like halfway between a reflex and, and an addiction i think you know you yeah. return to it over and over again yeah you know in in this you know it, and it, it, it's it's rewarding and, and i think the the moment i get you know if i ever get to the point where i pick up a guitar or sit at the piano and start writing a song and just think i'm fed up with this i'm not enjoying it you know then maybe that's the time to stop but you know yeah that would be the time to stop i can't imagine it ever happening but that would be the time to stop yeah Yeah, i i can't imagine it happening but should would it would it happen you know then then that's the time to reconsider perhaps um keep me in your heart that's featured on um fisherman's friends which is a well-known love and love british movie so um what's you know that's a big thing for someone let's have a have a song uh, soundtracking a key emotional moment in a moving picture how did it how did you how do you feel about that how did that kind of uh come about it's sort of the song that refuses to to die i mean i wrote that song in 2005 um and it's been on a couple of different albums i've made in different forms and uh various other people have have, have done it um uh, recorded it and released it and stuff um and it's you know i'm i'm grateful for for its sort of um, endurance, I suppose you know it's it's been one of those songs. To be honest, that's that's the song that opened the door for for my band, the Mercury Men, with Sony. It's the the song that I was then signed on the strength of to Universal as a writer. It's opened a, lo- a lot of doors for me. Uh, I just wish I, I knew where it came from so I could go back there. <laughs> it's 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 just the the one that came together in a way where it chimes with people. I can't really explain why um i wrote it uh i wrote it when my uh, back in 2005 my my cousin matthew passed away um he had a lot of personal um problems without wanting to go too deeply into it but he um 
he passed away um, as a result of his um, relationship with some certain substances. Um, and he was 27 years old, as a lot of people are when they that kind of thing happens. And um, I hadn't seen him for a bit, and he never got the chance. The thing that really bothered me with um, with Matt when he when we lost him was that he never had the chance um, to say goodbye, you know, or or leave on his terms. You know, it was very unfinished. And and that song, I kind of thought to myself, you know, how how could I? you know how could i put myself in his shoes and how can i you know from not not in like a song vulture kind of way but it, the song was a real like kind of creed occur kind of thing it was you know i i, I really i just wish that you know i thought what what message would he want to send to people and it's a call and response thing it's like the verses are sung from his perspective and the choruses are sung from my perspective and it was a really deeply personal thing to write yeah. um originally it had i think eight nine verses it was like a big kind of thing uh, you know a, a little bit like sad eyed lady of the lowlands but you know kind of like a poundland version but um it was like um you know it was very long very very long and i took it to my friend steve and daryl smith who uh, produced a lot of the stuff i did um uh, for sony and universal and we we'd been writing together for ages he also produced the, the stuff that i did with my band Candlefire, who you know yeah. how we, we we met i believe in winchester it is. Yeah. And, and arcade was it arcade that's right yeah. arcade yeah arcade yeah yeah yeah, yeah. At the railway railway in winchester um but I, I took the song to steve smith and i, I said to him I, I wrote it in an afternoon and then i drove up to peterborough to play a show at the lisboa club in peterborough and i opened with it all eight minutes of it um, as it was, and I, I, by the time I finished the song, there were there were a queue of about thirty people at the front front of the stage, all asking how they could buy it, how they could right. get hold of it. And I thought you just get you know you get that feeling when you yeah. write one that's kind of got a bit of power to it, a bit of you know. And you were like, I was kind of thinking to myself, well, you know, okay, this could go somewhere. And I took it to um, Steve and Daryl Smith, and I said, Steve, what what can we do with this? I said, you know, it, it, it's too long, but it feels it kind of feels like it's got potential you know, as an accessible song, as like a pop song kind of thing. But what, what do we what do we do with it? And um we recorded it as as I I had sort of put it together and Steve chopped out I think six of the eight verses and went, We don't need those. You know, it says it gets in, says what it needs to say, and then gets out. And his edit of it, you know, was was so inspired that I, I, it really, it taught me a lot in that instant, going, recording it and then going back the next day and hearing what he'd done with it. In that instant, I learned, it was it was kind of like I was on fast forward through the next five years of my life in terms of like learning about song structure. I was like, yeah. you know, wow, you know, this is so good. And then um, I wanted to demo it with um, with some vocal harmonies and, and a second guitar. And um, Steve recommended two guys who I knew from the circuit in Bournemouth, Simon Johnson and Gavin Wyatt. And he said, oh, you know, they do session work and stuff. We'll get them in and they, they, they're they great harmony singers. And we all got round a mic. Um, and I, you know, I sort of like shown them the song and kind of taught them the parts and everything. And we got round a mic uh, and I just opened our mouths and sang together for the first time. And, and it was it was just like, the heavens opening it was incredible a real really inspiring thing you you often hear the story about crosby stills and nash um being at Joni mitchell's house and like, at a party and stills and crosby are doing a song together and uh graham nash wanders in and just lays a high harmony on it and suddenly suddenly like all the floodlights in the world are switched on and it was it wasn't quite like that but it, it was like our version of it you know yeah it was just, sure 
we after about four seconds of harmonizing with each other we all burst out laughing and just looked at each other and went i think we formed a band haven't we and it oh, was, great. that was it that was great that was the Mer the mercury men you know just just from from like a you know a kind of demo session doing stuff together but the the songs the songs had some real um staying power which i'm really grateful for you know it's it's opened a lot of doors and you know, I, I get messages from people all over the world saying, "Oh, yeah, I saw it and heard the song in a film, and I, I loved it, and I, you know, I heard it here, I heard it there." People find it all over the place, um, and it's, you know, it's it's really good. I often get asked people, people say, "Oh, you know, aren't you sick of it?" As it, you know, it's 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 like, don't you feel it's overplayed? Is it, it's, you know, you, it's sort of like the closest you've come to sort of a hit a hit song. You must be tired of it. You must just want it to go away. And it's like, no, I'm I don't feel like that at all. I feel. Um, thankful really um, also interesting about that though is well i mean the way you know it's not really nice to interesting to hear where it came from and you as a songwriter having empathy for the position of your cousin wanting to say goodbye and it having that kind of spirit of matthew in it as well it's very a beautiful story that hmm. very beautiful let me just ask you a final uh, question my man this is um and thank you so much for your time the people listening um if you do not know the work of jinder you can find jinder on spotify youtube everywhere 14 albums go to his website he will um happily um take your orders for his cds and work over christmas <laughs> and uh, you can check out his web but this is the question i ask everybody as you will know because you listen and um to the podcast what song do you wish you had written I think for me, it would probably be Refuge of the Roads by Joni Mitchell. I think that's, I, I sort of, I'd go back and forth between that and The Strangers Song by Leonard Cohen. And I know as, as, as sort of reference points for a writer, Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell are, are quite sort of well-trodden paths, but but I mean, Joni at her best was a, was an absolute genius. And Refuge yeah. of the Roads, the whole of the Hegira album, but Refuge of the Roads, for me, her interplay, her, the, the, her guitar playing on that as a ja electric jazz guitarist she's just phenomenal and, and Jakob Pastorius's bass playing and just the song the imagery you know I, I about pulling into a service station and, and seeing a picture of um of the earth taken coming back from the moon um you know and you you couldn't see a highway or a tree or or anything on that marble bowling ball and me least of all you know it's just it, again it's it's that it's a simple image about feeling feeling insignificant but but it just wrapped in this enormous quilt of beauty and, and that's yeah that's yeah i'd love to be Joni mitchell when i grow up <laughs> <laughs> he is a genius um an absolute genius. and that's a great song to pick and a great artist to pick Jinda, thank you so much for your time brother and um you know i'd look forward me. to hearing the next album and the one after that 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 <laughs> keep 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 doing it bro Love you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, cheers. Love you, man. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it today. Thank you.